0: Hello and welcome to the last episode in our special seasonal mini-series of A Stab in the Dark, UK TV's chart-topping podcast that investigates case files from the worlds of crime fiction and TV crime drama. You're all no doubt enjoying your favourite crime dramas on the box and getting stuck into those crime novels you got for Christmas. But here's one more our old Christmas treat for you before we say sayonara to 2016. My name's Mark Billingham and today in our interview room is none other than actor William Gamonara, Throughout his distinguished career, William has been somewhat of a crime drama veteran, having had a long stint in the excellent Silent Witness and appearances on the legendary police series The Bill. We'll talk about his career, the storylines that have stuck with him, and whether he's picked up any medical knowledge along the way. Meanwhile, Paul Hirons speaks to another star of The Bill, Eric Richard, otherwise known as Bob Cryer. In fact, it was when our esteemed investigator talked to William during our Patricia Cornwall episode that we decided to invite him in for a mince pie and a glass of sherry. Welcome to A Stab in the Dark. Welcome to the podcast, William. Uh, thanks for having me. Is it William? Is it, it William? Is it's, it Willie? It's,
1: well, it's, it's, sometimes I'm Bill, sometimes I'm William, sometimes I'm Willie. But Willie's fine. But in
0: terms of billing, in terms of... Uh, in terms know, of billing, it tends to be William. William. Yeah. Well, Hello, William, to welcome to the podcast. So, I mean, what, is, there, is there any typical way an actor spends Christmas as opposed to anybody else? I mean, obviously, some actors are working in pantos and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Is it, a, is it a chance to just, you know, recharge the batteries and have a break? I and...
1: think it's a kind of either-or situation. Either you're absolutely flat out if you're working. Because if you are working, nowadays, you work right up until, you know, you're working on Christmas Eve, virtually. Right. Because people are, are out there looking for entertainment. And yeah. you're back again the day after Christmas. So it's... F- Flat out. And certainly if it's panto, you know, sometimes you're doing three shows a day. Have you done panto? I have done panto, and I've done three shows a day. The first one at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's not fun. Um, uh, Or... Of course, you're not working and it's a particularly quiet period because everyone's packed off and gone on holiday and so no one's really interested. So it really is a kind of um, feast or famine time of year for
0: actors. And is it true on a sort of Christmas theme that the reason you wanted to be, you wanted to become an actor ever since you played head sheep in the school <laughs> nativity play? <laughs> well, is that true? Well, I did.
1: I, yeah, I, uh, yes. I mean, I did. I had one one word, I think, in that when I was asked where the baby Jesus was, and I had to say, Bethlehem. Nice. And, I, and, nice. I, and, I, and I, I remember it now,
0: so <laughs> it must mean something. I, I actually went to a Jewish school. I'm not Jewish. It's a very long story when I <laughs> ended up going to a Jewish primary school. But I, so obviously we didn't do nativity plays. We did a whole of, you know, I'd be playing Daniel in the lion's den or something. But head sheep, a good part, looking well, back. When you're three, it felt like a good part. But although I have to say, even
1: then, I was slightly envious of Gabriel, ooh. who was up a ladder. Right, got to sit on a kind of six foot ladder that yeah. was, good. and had wings. Did he? Did he get up
0: himself a bit? The kid playing Gabriel well, was he? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> He let us know, you know. <laughs> I and mean, I gather you're also you also kind of playing a band. You're a blues harmonica player and guitar player. What kind of band? I
1: well, we're uh, we've been going a long, long time. We're about 25, 30 years old now, and um, we play B sides of well known A sides. Is our <laughs> niche right? Um, but I have to say, in the last decade or so, we've been drifting back to the A sides because you know B sides are, are not B sides for no reason. The a sides tend to be better than B sides. So it, it's a whole mixture of stuff. You know, Van Morrison, old blues stuff, and bluesy all sorts, stuff. all sorts, ballads. But um, it's it, 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 a lot of it's stuff stuff to get people dancing at a party. To. Right?
0: Where do you stand on country music, William? I we don't play any in the band. Right. Well,
1: one or two they're country-ish. Uh huh. I quite like country music, but I t- tend to listen to it kind of secretly because not many of my circle do. I mean, I think there's some really interesting country stuff out there. Well,
0: we're going to get on. Um, <laughs> well, we've done Christmas and, and music and sheep, so let's talk about why, why we're really here, t- uh, your work in Silent Witness. Let's start with sort of your brief stint in The Bill, and you played Inspector Bruce and Dr. Anthony Perry. How did you end up doing that? How did you pull but, that off? Two characters? The,
1: the Bill is, is one of those series where when it was up and running and really flying... It was on so many times a week that they got through every actor in equity in about four months. So they just constantly recycled people. And normally you got back, and I have a friend who's been in about seven times. Every time he got back, he got kind of promoted. So he started as a kind of you know a lowly, on-the-beat sergeant and then worked his way up to the top. In, in my case, I think I went back as, I think I might have even gone back as a criminal. I, I got done for doing something wrong. I think I was kind of selling weed as a policeman or something. I can't honestly remember, but
0: it's odd you should say that. They got through every act- actor in equity, including me, and uh, I-, I gave the single worst performance in the history of the bill. <laughs> as somebody who'd been smoking weed, I was oh, some right. kind of drug dealer. I'm being uh, interrogated by Di Burnside, I think. And we had a particular director who had it got it into his head that when you were stoned, you would rock gently in your chair. So he said, "Can you do? It? Can you rock? Can you do some rocking?" So, I went, right, so I'm rocking backwards. And he just wouldn't. He, he wanted more. He kept going, cutting it more, and ended up like like a demented chicken, rocking backwards and forwards in this interrogation. I've I've never seen it don't ever want to see it yes uh but it was it was one of those things where you felt like you were stepping into a sort of well-oiled machine oh completely i mean extraordinary i remember going in there and there were
1: lots of people dressed as policemen wandering around with scripts and all the scripts were different colors weren't they we had a pink one a blue one a green one and they were all filming simultaneously and there were some regulars who had three of these scripts and in the same day they would go from one episode to another and, you know, all the lines were pretty exchangeable yeah. and, and really to keep their head around what story they were in and, uh, you know, what, what the through line was, I, I, um, they, they certainly earned their money.
0: But I think one of the things that was interesting about the bill when it started, I don't know if it finished up like this, but I think certainly the intention at the time was that everything would be from the coppers POV. Yeah, it was all about what what the police officer saw, whether it's a detective or a uniformed officer arriving at a crime scene. Everything through their eyes. I think it was quite
1: interesting. That's right, and, and they even had an edict that you every every shot had to have a copper in it. Oh right, you could never cut away to the domestic, a private storyline or anything like that. Every shot had a copper in it.
0: Well, it was and it was right there in those, those opening credits, wasn't it? Those like iconic yeah. credits of the of the the policeman's feet. You know, everything That's was. Right. You know. But a huge show. I mean, in fact, people are still binge-watching it on, on UK TV play after all these years. I mean, and, yeah, yeah. and just as you were appearing in that show for a, a second time, a new show over on the BBC called Silent Witness is just starting up. Now, when you joined that in, in 2002, was it, was it a show you were aware of that you'd seen?
1: I was aware of, obviously, because it made quite a, a splash when it came out. And I had seen it, and um, Amanda Burton had made a big impact in the show. So it, was, it, was, it had a high profile. But it wasn't something I kind of religiously watched or something. It wasn't something I particularly kept up with.
0: But then off you went for 10 years. <laughs> exactly. um, yeah. and, and and So what was Leo like when you first encountered him on the page? Was a character that you were um, able to, to see straight away? Well, he away? wasn't
1: a professor, so there was a pr- promotion that went on there. Um, I joined at the same time um, as Tom Ward. And we came in as kind of sidekicks to Amanda because she, you know, it's, it's quite a big deal carrying a programme of that size on your own. Just the, the work... Schedule is pretty intense, and she wanted a bit of backup just to take the the load off her right, life, which meant that you know there 'd be a few scenes she wasn 't in, so she 'd get a few days off really um, and th- I think they also knew that they were preparing for her departure it's, at some level they knew, so they were just trying to kind of shoehorn in the next generation, as it were. But when we first started it was we were we were sidekicks essentially. And so we were slightly functional as characters, rather than having anyone having written a very strong identity for any of them. But I once once she left, and I became the kind of um, got promoted to being the boss of the faculty. Mm. Then I became a very kind of um, you know the kind of the the daddy figure in the organisation.
0: And how did you feel? I mean, I know you'd played doctors and stuff previously, you'd you'd casualty Mm. those kind of shows, Mm. but suddenly you're in this environment that's you know. Death and <laughs> and bodies and labs. I mean, it's a fairly kind of hardcore world, even even in a fictional sense yeah. to be part of. Was it something you were comfortable with being surrounded by all that stuff? I, uh,
1: yes, I mean, it didn't worry me at all. When you not kind of squeamish, you're not squeamish this, I wasn't squeamish at all. When I walked through the set and I saw a dismembered body, or a torso or just a head sitting there. You know, at first you'd kind of double take and think that's a strange thing to see on a Wednesday morning. But actually, it didn't. <laughs> I wasn't squeamish about. It didn't worry me because I, I kind of knew they were fake. I knew they weren't. They weren't real. I mean, there were occasions after a bit, after I'd been doing it a few years, when a storyline would come up and you think, "Oh, how are they going to film this? Because mm-hmm. this could be pretty in your face." And and it was quite interesting to see how different directors approached that. Because sometimes I thought. You don't really need to show all that. You don't really need to see this face being peeled off and replaced, do you? You could kind of
0: cut away at this. So that, that, that was always a conversation that was going on. That's always an interesting thing with those shows, and I think the same is true of, uh, on, on the page as well. It's how much you let the reader slash the viewer do the work.
1: Yeah. Because less is more, isn't it? I, well, I, I think so, and there was a great debate about that, and they kept doing kind of straw polls of, of viewers, and, and uh, the young, it tend to be the younger generation said, oh, yeah, we love it. We want more more. You know, we can't get enough of the blood and gore. And the old generation saying, do we need to see this? So it was quite an interesting generational difference. And uh, they responded according to, you know, what demographic they were playing I think it's a shame.
0: Time. I think it's a shame. I think the viewer's imagination is, is in a way a much more powerful tool than than any special effect, than mm. any piece of, you know, they can imagine things far more graphic, horrific, whatever, than anything that you can put on a screen. Yeah. So and it's, it, and
1: it's, also it lends itself up to charges of being slightly kind of pornographic lady, kind of and I, I, was, I was slightly uncomfortable
0: no you, you did say I think when you left the show in, in 2013 that you wouldn't miss the smell of pig organs
1: yeah well <laughs> that was, a, re, that was a, a development right at the end because we used to use prosthetics
0: right,
1: right the way through I think for, for about the first nine years I did it it was prosthetics and beautifully made but very expensive and throughout that time budgets were being slashed all the time as they, as they always are so by the end they found it cheaper to bring in real organs and they were pigs' organs. Right. So when you were doing those scenes, holding up the kind of lungs and bladders and all sorts, it was it was real fresh pigs' organs, and that was really unpleasant. I mean, the smell, apart from anything else, was <laughs>
0: not nice. Well, I think pig, I think they train don't they train medics with pigs I and mean, they're army medics and stuff? I think oh, are trained they? on uh, certainly on pig skin, which uh-huh. is the the similar pig's flesh. It's it's the most similar to human flesh. Right. So army medics and stuff are trained with. Uh, using pigs and working on pigs. Did you right. have some kind of wholesale pig organ supplier? They have probably,
1: lo- probably got a deal going somewhere. Knowing the BBC, yes.
0: And and it, and presumably, when uh, the script always involves a good deal of kind of jargon and and medical terminology, does that is that a different challenge to? It to it an actor? is,
1: and and you know, some some people find it easier than others because a lot of it is very technical and for just you know just to say there's some very long words and some very long sentences so you have to be able to get your head around that and it's not something you can look at your script the night before and think it'll just happen the next day and I, whenever I, I got a script I'd look at it first and I'd go through it and isolate the the scenes which I knew because of the language I'd need to get my head around early on how I didn't how... want to be thinking about that on the day. No. How far in come... advance would you get the script? Well, if, if if each episode took five weeks, which it did, I mean, a complete episode, yeah. d- double episode would take five weeks to film. You'd get the you'd get the episode or the final draft of the episode. You'd get. A few days before you started filming.
0: Well, we come we come now to a regular feature in which Stab in the Dark's roving reporter, Paul Hirons, catches up with some of those who bring us the very best crime fiction and crime drama. This time around, we talk to The Bills' Eric Richard about his time in that legendary British cop show and what it was
2: like to play desk sergeant Bob Cryer. Over to you, Paul. Earlier on in the year, actor Eric Richard, who played The Bills' Sergeant Bob Cryer, callsign 92 was interviewed by UKTV and it was interesting because this legend of the police drama really laid it on the line and spoke about what it was really like to be one of the main characters in a groundbreaking crime drama that broke all kinds of rules, featured tons of guest appearances like Rick Mayo, Sean Bean, Martine McCutcheon, Emma Bunton, Russell Brand, David Tennant and Kieran Knightley, but also ran for a staggering 2,400 episodes over 27 years. Now, the thing is, it's still widely loved today and still welcoming in waves of new fans to the show. So why does Eric think it's such an enduring success?
3: Well, I think the bill's appeal was that, firstly, it was a quality programme. It was made to an extremely high standard. It followed a line of police dramas in the day-to-day being of the police, and it goes all the way back Dixon of Dot Green, to Zed Cars, Juliet Bravo, those kind of programmes. So it was following that lineage. But then they chose to shoot it in a new way, that it was almost like a drama documentary. So I think that the audience felt they really were out on the streets of London with a police force. We in turn, as the actors, were working almost like a theatre group and not improvising because we had scripts to learn, but it had that energy. And in fact, the series started with a uh, program called Wooden Tops, which was a pilot. And the very first thing you saw was Jim Carver, who went on to become one of the central characters. Him reaching out for his alarm clock at I don't know five o'clock in the morning, the alarm's going off, and we follow him to work on his first day as a police officer. And that was continued forevermore and then something that most people even people in the trade when i tell them this are surprised that you could never shoot a scene that the audience didn't know there was a police officer in the scene so you could never be with anybody other than with a police officer and that was unique
2: and according to eric the Bill had quite an effect on its viewers.
3: To demonstrate the power of, of the show and the immense following it's got, I was in, the ga- in my garage working on my bikes, so I had greasy old overalls on. I needed to go down to the supermarket, so I put a crash helmet on, a pair of gloves, jumped on the bike, went to the supermarket, came out looking like that, looking like an old fellow who's playing with his motorbikes. When this man comes over to me and says, excuse me, it's Eric Richard, isn't it? And I'm amazed that he recognised me, and I say, yes, it is. And he he gave me his name and then told me that he had joined the police force because of me and had been a sergeant for 22 years. That's something, isn't
2: it? Now, Eric played Sergeant Bob Cryer for 17 years and in an incredible 670 episodes. So what kind of man was Bob?
3: Well, Bob Cryer as a character, when it was first shown to me, I thought this is brilliant. I'd love to play this character. And at that stage, I'm looking at just 12 scripts. Um, but he was such a rounded and full character. I very quickly learnt that of course he was also demonstrably the classic NCO, the man in the middle between the officers and between the men. And in all dramas about the military or uniforms, there is always that NCO, you know, that, that bosun on the ship character. Alongside that, uh, to play Cryo was to demonstrate a man who, if you were the victim, he's the man that you'd like to come and rescue you because he really would care for you and look after you. But equally, if you were on the other side of it, the other side of the coin and were the villain, you know that if he nicked you, you'd get a fair cop, you know, you'd be looked after, you wouldn't be fitted up, you wouldn't be kicked about, you wouldn't be slapped you'd be given a fair chance.
2: A good guy he might have been, but that didn't stop Bob Cryer having the odd dramatic storyline. In 1990, Bob took up arms and shot dead a robber who turned out to be carrying an unloaded weapon, which counts as one of Eric's most difficult acting challenges.
3: At the centre of it was an episode where Crier had to kill someone. He went to work that morning and They gave him his pink slip which meant he could get a gun out of the cabinet and they went off after this bad person and he killed them. Um, And as someone who doesn't like guns and who doesn't like violence, trying to find a way of enacting that and making it look like a real man doing an everyday job as opposed to heroes and villains in say James Bond was quite a challenge and something I enjoyed immensely. The other thing of course was how do you handle guns, because I'm not a person who's been around guns or has an interest in being around guns, so of course our armourer had to show me what I would do with the gun, how I would handle it, but also of course there is a procedure about how police officers are allowed to demonstrate the gun and then use the gun, so I had to learn all of that, yeah.
2: So the bill took things seriously, as did Eric and we said goodbye to the offices of Sunhill in 2010. Looking back on it now, how does Eric feel about it all?
3: Well, getting out of bed of a morning and going to work, one of the great joys in life can be if that job is the one that you want to do. It's very simple. You want to work good parts in good plays with good people in good places. And if you think of the bill as a play, it fills all of those criteria. I was doing all of those things and going to work with people that I loved working with,
2: you know, some of them have
3: remained very, very dear friends. Uh, What's
2: not to like? What's not to like indeed? You can see this legendary cop show, a piece of British televisual history no less, on UKTV's streaming service UKTV Play and on the Drama Channel during the daytime.
0: Eric there talking about The Bill, um, a show that was very well known for its authenticity and its almost documentary approach to drama. Um, was the same thing ever applied to, to Silent Witness? I mean, were you, were you shown bodies? Were you Was that something that you were made familiar um, with?
1: Only when I very very first started, at the very beginning, um, as I say, I joined up at the same time as Tom Ward, who played Harry. And before we did our first day's filming, we were sent off to South End. And there's a pathologist who works there. And we went in there and we were allowed to watch an autopsy, just a, a regular autopsy. And I had no idea what to expect at all. And thankfully, this guy's just, before he took us in, he's just sat us down and said, right, this is what you're going to see. And this is what's going to happen. This is what I'm going to be doing. This is what you're going to be doing. And I'm very grateful that he did. Because it is, even if you watch the program or programs like it, it's a very shocking thing to uh-huh. see. And And then we went in and... Spent an hour watching this autopsy on on a I don't know I think it was a, a seventy three year old man who'd died the day before.
0: Yeah, I mean,
1: and how was it? Strange it was, question. It was, how was it for you? Actually, it was it was quite hard to watch. It's quite um, I find it quite difficult, um, but you're not in a not in a, any kind of emotional way because you you don't know who this person is. You there's a bit of you that thinks oh this person was talking yesterday they were jumping around and now they're not you know that recent, but. Uh, that aside, it was absolutely fascinating in terms of the science of it. There was a point when he suddenly said, ah, that's what it is, and he held up the heart or a slice of the heart, and he said, see that white speck? That's the heart attack.
0: Wow. Still a kind of... uh, I've I've been invited to go to to autopsies, and I've always... I don't need to do that. Hmm. Um, then again, I'm not. I'm not acting the part of somebody who you know yeah, yeah. who does that and has to handle these things. Um, and I'm really not sure h- how I'd react to it. I've seen a body. I've been out with with cops and been at a crime scene where there's been bodies and road traffic accidents and stuff. But to actually see the process of a uh, of an autopsy, I'm not sure how I'd handle it. With, if, were there lots of jokes about you're going to faint and all that sort of stuff? I mean, no,
1: there was no there, there, there was no joking involved at all we warned that the, the smell is quite strong so you, you know if you want a handkerchief doused in something and it was and I'm glad I did have a handkerchief doused in something they all get on with it because they do it every day so it's just a regular job to them but I would, I would actually recommend it I just think it's absolutely fascinating the science of it and also you realise that you know when you're dead you're really dead <laughs> There's no, there's no coming yeah, there's back. From no, that. There's no, you know, no two ways about
0: it. Well, the show didn't Silent Witness certainly didn't pull any punches uh, in, in in that respect. But also in terms of some of the some of the themes and the and the storylines, was that mm. something you were pleased to see? Was that you know, was that something that you uh, you know made the show so successful? You think the fact that it tackled things that were that were going on in society, it wasn't just a you know, it wasn't just a who done it or a you know a why done it or whatever. I think I think the most successful episodes. Were the ones that
1: managed to combine the you know, conventional ingredients of crime drama: a puzzle, a death, who's who's caused this? Where are clues going to come from? And the, and the particular you know, uh, unique selling point of Silent Witness is the clues come from the body, yeah. and that you have these experts who know how to interpret and how to read a body, and 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 genuinely. So that's all well researched, and that's interesting to a viewing public who who don't know anything about that. It really is interesting. Yeah. So, But the most successful episodes were the ones that combined that in an interesting way with stuff that was going on in, in society at the time and, and managed to get that kind of combination. And it didn't, you know, that's hard to do. It's really hard to do in, in two long hours and for tick the boxes of keeping your audience wrong footed, you know, giving them red herrings, keeping them guessing and then successfully and plausibly. Tying it all up at the end—it's a really, really difficult challenge. And
0: but even if you are ticking those boxes, you've still got to give them at the heart of the show. You've still got to give them the characters that they yeah. can engage with and empathise with and care about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and certainly, certainly in terms of the victims, yes. which I think is one of the is one of the crucial things about the show. In in far too many uh, crime dramas, whether they're on the page or on the screen, the victim is just a victim. The victim is just a plot device. Yeah, you know, the victim twelve, yeah. victim thirteen. Uh, Whereas I think Silent Witness is one of those shows where you realize why they're doing it. Yes. You know, it is about this death or whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. And there, so there has to be that, that empathy at the heart of a show, do you think? I yeah. mean,
1: no, I think that's absolutely right. And, um, you know, it was the shows that dealt with, I don't know, migrants being smuggled into the country, shows that dealt with um, gangs on estates. Is is the shows that you felt had their finger on the pulse of whatever was going on that, that really kind of. You got engaged with them more.
0: Are there any particular episodes that really stick with you, that stay with you, that stand out, do you think?
1: Um, Well, yes, but probably not not always for that reason. I mean, the very first episode or possibly the second episode I did, I remember, was a pile-up, which we filmed just outside Westfields. Before West, Westfield didn't exist there, right? So it was on the kind of motorway there, and it was a huge motorway pileup. So there were about ten vehicles involved. So that was spectacular. Just to step step out on that set, yeah. And we filmed right through the night. Um. So that was that was interesting too. And the, and the, the the kind of m- the MacGuffin, if you like, in this particular story, that that they they f- they find all the bodies and all the body parts in this pileup, but they've got one arm too many. <laughs> So they keep having to count the bodies and think, hang on, hang on, someone's got three arms. What's good? It's a great puzzle to kick off with.
0: Well, do you see these big American glossy. Uh, forensic shows, which are very much, it seems to me, the antithesis of, you know, they're, they're very much not like silent witness. It's yeah. all about ramping up the, the technology to, to a ludicrous level, yeah. uh, you know, to, until you end up with the, the so-called CSI effect, when people start to believe that all sorts of nonsense is possible. You know, I, uh, you know, I did have actually somebody say to me once that, oh, no, you can now tell if somebody's been in a room just by taking a sample of the air. What I saw it on CSI, you know, and I know that's the bane of forensic investigators' lives—that kind of nonsense. But do you do you do you feel that Silent Witness, you know, managed not to do that? Is it very much not what 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 CSI kind of became? That it's very much grounded in 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 in, in proper science.
1: Well, I know that they, there's always a tension in those programs between the creative side of it and the scientific side of it. And that, that creative tension goes on from the moment the first, first word is written right to when we're filming it. And generally speaking, drama wins out because yeah. in the end it is drama. Yes, of course. But I mean the pathologist certainly when we did our autopsy scenes, which were three or four days every episode, there was always a pathologist, a general pathologist on standby and who would, who would tell you exactly how to say these words and what you were doing and to do it authentically and why you were doing it. And then someone would say, oh, well, I don't really want them to do that because if they do that, it means, you know, that'll go on a bit long. And, and, and the pathologist would say, well, that's how long it takes. Yeah. And the director would say, yeah, but I don't want it to. That's not how long viewers like to watch things. So a negotiation would take place and a compromise would be made. So I, I think for, if you're a pathologist watching it, you probably watch it through your fingers thinking, oh, no, that's not, that wouldn't happen. But at the same time, there is a, a kind of base level which, beneath which they do not, you know, they, d- they don't compromise.
0: No, of course not. But it, it's a, as you say, it's a heightened reality, isn't it? Is, it? Yeah. It's a, it, it's it, it's drama, not documentary. And I suppose at the end of the day, if something is possible. Then, then it can be done dramatically. Yes. It's when when yeah. the scientist steps in and goes, "Never in a million oh, right. years." Yeah. Then I then... don't think we ever did anything. I don't think we ever did anything
1: like that. I, I mean, you could argue we used to run around like because we were effectively the we were the Sherlock Holmeses. We were the police. We're the ones doing all the investigating, yeah. and that in itself is not realistic because clearly the police do the investigating, and we just step in and, and give them, give them hard science to help them with their investigation. So, in, in that respect, never in a million years would pathologists do exactly what we do. But you know, it wasn't complete. It wasn't sci-fi.
0: No, I mean, uh, it's 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 the same with a with a with a conventional police procedural. I mean, never you, for a start, you never see detective inspectors doing paperwork. You never see <laughs> them. You know, uh, it, it, and, and and if a if a if a novel, for example, was was to accurately reflect the way a murder was investigated, it would be a thousand pages long. Yes, it would be yes, as exactly, dull as yes. ditch water. I mean, yes, exactly. There wouldn't be an ending you were happy with. The readers, if they're invested in the characters. And the, the same, exactly the same, I think, applies to crime drama. They will suspend the disbelief to the, to the degree they need to. Yeah. Um, and it is, you know, it is about the characters because whatever's happening with the science and stuff, um, you know, your character, Leo, Leo had some very tough times, you know, during the latter part, you know, he's, he's put through the mill quite a lot mm. in some of these storylines. That must be great, from an actor's <laughs> point of view. You know, just to go, oh, this this is good yes. and juicy. Oh,
1: i got to get clubbed over the head. Yes! Oh, i got to be a life support machine. No, it's absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you always, you know, when you, when you check out the episodes that comes in, you want to have a nice, chunky episode, you want something to do, because a lot of it is quite procedural. Yeah. It's shuffling papers, particularly my character too, because I'm kind of the boss running the, the faculty, so there's a lot of admin involved. And it's not very interesting to do that. Uh, in fact, when I left, they said, well, how do you want to go? They said, do you mind if we kill you? And I said, no, I don't mind if you kill me. <laughs> I said, I don't want to be on the slab, but I don't mind if
0: you kill me. Why did you not want to be on the slab? Wouldn't that have been a kind I've, of nice? I've
1: seen too many people on the slab, and it's not a fun day's filming. Oh, really I see. Isn't.
0: You just didn't want quite, to put yourself through that. You're
1: naked. For, ah, there is you know, that. But lying on these things is really... Un- people think, oh, I'm going I'm to get paid for lying down for three days. Uh, how, how cushy is that? Actually, after about half an hour, you're starting to because uh-huh. these are you know it's it's not it's not a fun day, um, but I didn't want to be on the slab and and in the end they said well what about we blow you up and I thought yeah fine blow me up and I thought great special effects you know where, where were those scenes the Afghanistan scenes filmed they were filmed in Almeria in Spain where all the um, spaghetti westerns are filmed
0: oh, and, uh, well, I mean yeah. loads of filming goes <laughs> on there
1: Indiana Jones they do that's the kind of go to place for that kind of
0: right. When did you? Stuff. When did you start to realise that that you wanted out of it? That you, um, you, you'd, you'd done your stint increasingly in the last
1: couple of years. Yeah, um, yeah. W- I, I think I st- stopped looking forward to it, and I and I knew I was kind of re- just repeating, you're repeating myself in in every way, and just thought I just need to. I mean, I could carry on doing this, but I, I needed to kind of challenge myself and get a bit. I, I need to get scared again, a bit. You know.
0: That's interesting. I mean, this, it, you know, I've talked to other actors on on this show that have been in long-running series, and there seems to be a, a, a repeating pattern, mm. which is um, kind of counterintuitive in a way, because you'd think, you know, the long-running show is is a wonderful thing for mm. an actor. You know, mm. you've got that every year. You know you're doing another series of that, mm. which leaves you free to do lots of other stuff or whatever, mm. because you've always got this, you know, uh, this one solid job. But, but all the actors I speak to that have been in that position tend to get to a point when they go... I've kind of fallen out of love a little bit with this. I want to be, as you say, scared again, excited again. Yeah.
1: Well, I think you either decide, you either say, I like this because I like the lifestyle and I'm happy for this to go on as long as as long as long it possibly can because that's more interest to me. The lifestyle is much more interesting to me. Or you say, well, actually, I'm an actor and it's the acting that interests me more. So I'd rather, you know, give up the lifestyle and and, and step off the edge of the cliff. So... That's the kind of decision you make, and you know there's no right or wrong about that. It's just what your priorities are.
0: But is there a moment after you do it when you go, "I've done it"? Oh my God, what have I done? Is there? A, is there It must be quite scary. There,
1: there is. a There is a, a little bit. Of a, I mean, I, nev- I have never regretted it, and I'm, I've, I've not looked back. And it's a, it's it's also amazing how quickly you move on, and uh, you know, they move on <laughs> instantly. <laughs> you know, as soon as you said, "I want to out," they're kind of on to the next. You know, whatever's next. And you do the same thing, really. you just it becomes history very, very fast.
0: But still, it's a character you've lived with for a decade. It's a character you've inhabited for a decade. Yeah, it can't yeah, be the absolutely. easy. Is it... This is a stupid question. Is it like ending a relationship? I mean, is it kind of like... Is it like a
1: divorce? <laughs> I, it's not so much with the, not much with the characters, it's just, you know, it's a regular team of people I used right. to see. And there were some people, you know, the drivers and people who worked on props who I worked with for many, many years. And suddenly, you know, you, you don't see them anymore. And that's, that's quite strange. But there's a kind of year when that sorts itself out and, and uh,
0: you meet new people. Does, does that thing happen that I always imagine happens when people play medical professionals of one sort or another? I always imagine that by the time they've been, you know, on people's tellies week after week for many years... That you know, people imagine that you have that degree or a degree of medical expertise. Is that you know? I always imagine people on casualty being, like, oh, can you have a look at my? You know, this, oh, I've had a problem with my. Did did people imagine that you kind of knew that stuff? That
1: I think that definitely happens. I've been at parties where someone's t- had, a, had a you know t- had a dizzy turn or something, and, the, and there there isn't anyone medical around, and then they defer to me. They to me and say, "Well, you, you can, Dave's he's not feeling too good. You take a look." And instead of me saying no. I'm not a doctor, I kind of find myself saying, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll take a look. <laughs> and then, of course, you go up and you stand in front of them and you think, what am I doing? I don't, I don't know anything. Because, of course, we're pretending to do it. That's yeah. what we're pretending to do. We don't actually do it. So I, I kind of concern and say, you know what, I can, I can pretend to, to to help Dave here, but I can't actually do it. I can, I, I can tell you how to take his pulse and how to look in his eyes, but I'm pretending to do it. But you kind of trick yourself into thinking you do you do know how to do it because I suppose you do know a, a, a smidgen more than… You must have picked than, something than up over mean. a decade, I guess. You, you know, I, I, I once did a, a program called People Like Us where I played an airline pilot. And we trained in a the, the training center at Heathrow where you walk into a room. It's got 10 million pounds worth of equipment, which you sit and you're flying a jumbo jet. And you press a button. You can reproduce any airport in the world through the windows, all the weight, whatever. Yeah. So you get the right cars and the distance, the right number of plates. And you sit there. I sat in there for two days and learned how to fly a jumbo jet. And apparently that, that, that's where all the pilots train. And they go there for two years. And then one day, instead of turning right into that room, they turn left into a real jumbo jet. And it's exactly the same, only they just take off. So it's the real deal. And right. after 48 hours of doing that, I felt I could fly a, <laughs> a, a commercial aircraft. Uh, that, I really did think uh, if you put me in one now, there's a say, problem, I'll be able to land so have you. Have you ever had that kind you of know,
0: fantasy where like completely. like an airplane when a stewardess comes running down the aisle going, both the pilots have got <laughs> food poisoning. Is there anybody that you're going to go, oh, OK, Comple- then? I'm I'm, I'm your man. You think you could do it but still? But you
1: think uh, you, uh, for about a week, I've felt <laughs> it. I've done the same on casualty. I did a, a burr holes operation where you have to drill a hole in someone's head when they've got pressure in there. Michael Watson. Um, famously suffer from and it's a very crude operation. You really do use you know a drill and you just have to grind your way through not too far but you and for about a week after I was looking round for people, making sure <laughs> anyone who tripped on the ground' because you think, anybody need a whole I could do there. this
0: anybody at but all. of
1: course, it's a complete fantasy in the same way that people's expectations of you is fantastical. your own expectations I mean of course I couldn't doctors train for seven years
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've, yeah. I've,
1: I've spoken to a doctor for seven hours. it's not the same thing.
0: I've always, now I have this fantasy that you know you you always have that thing that in a theatre where you know someone would come to the front of the stage and go is there a doctor in the house and silence is there an actor in the house? Is there an actor who's played a doctor in the house <laughs> yes um, which, why do you think you got you played so many doctors though William if well was, you know seventy percent of TV is doctors I guess or
1: policemen is. and I'm yeah. I'm Posh, so I tend to play the doctors drum. Never pl- done a copper. you never I've, done. I have done coppers. Yeah, I have yeah. done coppers, but not many more doctors than coppers, and that only leaves you know thirty percent of whatever else. And now it's kind of cooks and vets and things. And uh, yeah. What I about v- what about doctors. villains?
0: What about the killers? Would you not like to well, get, really you, get they, stuck I've, into one of those? I've
1: done. I've done villainous doctors.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Can do doctors and do- villainous dodgy
1: doctors. and villainous villains doctors.
0: Yeah. So what, so what are you up to at the moment now? The, the, well, back in the real I, world. I,
1: I didn't really kind of know what was going to happen. And uh, I've very pleasantly and to a certain extent unexpectedly gone straight into doing a lot of theatre. So not having done – while I was doing um, Silent Witness, I didn't appear on stage for 11 years from the moment I started. Right. Um, and then I went really straight from it back into the theatre, which has been – fantastic and i've just done a lot of theater in the last and three, is that three quite years. is that
0: quite scary if you've not done very it for 11 scary. years very scary
1: i mean the first first show i did i thought Ooh, i'm 11 years older do lines stay in your head do they go into your head as easy as they did do they stay in there once they're in there what's it like can you remember what to do but actually you know it's the, it's the old kind of riding the bicycle cliche it's fine i mean I, I do have to work a bit harder at learning the lines, but. Actually, I probably know them better than I ever used to. But, no, it, it's, it is exactly that. It's very scary and very enjoyable.
0: And is there a drawback uh, as a working actor to being so associated with one particular part? You know, you play a part on TV for a decade. Is there always the worry that, oh, it's that guy who is so-and-so? And um, y- y-
1: you're aware that, you know, people have got oh, it's, it's it's Leo from Silent Witness, yeah. and, 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 and that's slightly burdensome. But on the other hand, it's quite nice to show that you can do other things. So it's an opportunity as well.
0: And, and I should imagine audience recognition is always nice. You must be you must be yes, meeting and, people and they, in the streets. They street. move on from that, and you move on for it. So it's 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 fine. It's, it's fine. fine. Well, thank you so much for coming in. in, 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 in before we finish, in, in each episode, we do ask our guests to come along with recommendations of their own for for All a right. good read or something to watch. So what what have you been reading that you'd like to? Well, recommend?
1: I'm a big Patricia, Patricia Highsmith fan. Ah. I love Patricia Highsmith, and I, I, I think she's written a lot of kind of crime-ish mm. novels, um, all the Ripley stuff. My favourite, I think, is one called *This Sweet Sickness*, okay. which is a fantastic book, really kind of detailed, quite nasty, inward-looking, beautifully written. Well, one of, crime one of my story. one
0: of my current bugbears is there's a huge of, the psychologist. The psychological thriller, I can't even say it, uh, is the big thing within, hmm. within crime and thriller fiction at the moment. It's the, you know, it's the big thing. It's the new Scandi. It's psychological crime. And people talk about it as if they've just invented it, as if Patricia Highsmith yeah, never, existed. You know, yeah, never yeah, wrote yeah. any of these books. I yeah. mean, she really was an incredible woman, yeah. quite a strange woman. Very strange. And it shows in her, in her writing, too. Weird a weird take on things. Very, very strange. She used to smuggle snails in her bra. Did you know that? <laughs> no, know she, that. <laughs> towards the end of her life, uh, it wasn't something she did. She, was, she just had these pet snails and she would carry them around in her bra. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not sure listeners needed to know that, but next <laughs> yeah. time you're sitting reading a Patricia Highsmith novel, carry, yeah. that, carry that lovely image with you. Um, what about something to I'm watch telling. with you?
1: I well, I've just recently watched Making of a Murderer. I know it's not a fictional crime drama, but it is in a completely. It has all the ingredients of a fictional crime drama, yes. with the added impetus that it's 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 real, real. <laughs> it's true, yeah. and all the more shocking for that. Um, an extraordinary program, which I think anyone who hasn't seen it should should watch.
0: Well, some great recommendations there. Patricia Highsmith cannot uh, echo that strongly enough. And making a murderer. Um, well, that's about it for another episode of A Stab in the Dark, and indeed the end of our little mini series of special episodes. We'll be back soon enough to welcome in more big names from the worlds of crime fiction and crime drama. In the meantime, you can find out more about A Stab in the Dark, along with articles and some great book competitions at uktv.co.uk/slash A Stab in the Dark. Have you dropped us a nice review in on iTunes? yet, have you? A quick five stars and a nice word? Go on, it wouldn't hurt. Here's one from someone called Stosha 50, an intelligent podcast for crime book fans with an excellent host in Mark Billingham and brilliant guests. Thanks ever so much, Stosha 50, or should I say, mum. Uh, Seriously though, thanks for all the feedback and do keep it coming. Um, With that, it's a huge thank you to my very special guest, William Gaminara, and remember that you can see Silent Witness every Sunday at 9 o'clock on Drama until December the 18th, and once again from January the 8th. Thanks To our producers, Sam Pearson and Paul Hirons. My name's Mark Billingham. Thanks for listening and have a criminally great Christmas. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing.